Back, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor in chief at buffalorumblings.com and the host of Buffalo Rumblings QA on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. The Buffalo Bills lost on Sunday afternoon to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was a much, much closer game than I think we anticipated at halftime. Um, I know I had to rewrite my takeaways article at least twice um, as I kept, you know, I was pretty despondent at halftime like a lot of you guys were. And then as they make their comeback, you have to change it. Um, You have to wait until the very, very end of the game to write your opinions. But there are still some uh, certain takeaways that we can take away from that game, uh, win or lose. Um, I know your questions changed based on winning and losing as well. Um, Worrying about the playoff picture, worrying about tons of things. As always, in the future, if you do have those questions at the end of the game, send them along. Uh, You can call us or text us. 716-508-0405. You can tweet us at Rumlings Q&A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle. Email us, Rumlings at sbnation.com. You can send Facebook or Instagram messages to the official accounts for Buffalo Rumlings and Danielle, our social media manager, will make sure to get those to me uh, for the next episode or whatever future episode you want your questions answered. So, Without further ado, let's get to my takeaways from the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I started with Josh Allen. Uh, the Bills were getting blown out, but Josh Allen put the team on his back down the stretch. Uh, his legs and arm brought Buffalo back from a 21-point deficit to make it a 27-24 game with five minutes left in the fourth quarter and ultimately tie it at the end of regulation. Even after he had his you know ankle or foot uh, taped up, and was limping. Um, That's not the only thing that hurt um, on Monday morning. I'm sure his back hurt because he carried this team for sure. Uh, They called runs and passes for him even after the injury. Uh, He was just all over the field. He was their offense. When you pay a guy $250 million, you know, he really does need to be able to do what we just saw Josh Allen do. And I mean, if, if people are still questioning Josh Allen or his ability to take this team all the way, I think this is the game where you can point to and be like, you know, this guy can do everything, even against, you know, a solid Tampa Bay defensive front, even against, you know, the odds of being down three touchdowns to the greatest player of all time. He was able to bring this team back with help from the defense and and the rest of the team for sure. But, you know, he was, he didn't press, he didn't um, act scattered. He wasn't, you know, superhero Josh. He just did what the defense gave him over and over and over and over again. And uh, it really showed up. Um, he became the fourth player in NFL history with 300 passing yards and 100 rushing, rushing yards in the same NFL game. A lot of those players have lost those games, just for the record. And they relied on him way too much in the first half, too, because they didn't have a running back carry at all in the first half. And that was my uh, second takeaway. For the first time since 1991, no running back rushed the ball for an NFL team. The Bills heard that they were focusing too much on establishing the run and just decided not to do it against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which was smart in my opinion. Um, the Tampa Bay Bucks have a fearsome front four. It's not, you know, a, a, it's not a situation where you want to run your running back into the teeth of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. I thought it was a good move. Uh, to get away from the running back carries. Uh, Brian Dable 
did a really nice job with that in the first half. And then later in the game, passed to set up the run. You know, he was able to get the ball into the hands of his running backs and get good yardage um, on those runs because because they were able to pass so much that the, the defensive line had to respect that. And so it, it actually ended up working out. Uh, normally we talk about running to set up the pass, but this week they uh, passed to set up the run. Josh Allen did have 43 yards rushing in the first half. Um, and then the first running back carry came on the fake punt in the second half. Um, I thought that was a big mistake, the punt. Um, I didn't write about it you know, specifically. But, you know, putting Matt Breida in for just one punt in the entire game kind of signaled that the Bills were going to run a fake punt there. Uh, I would have much rather had Josh Allen and the Bills offense, if you're going to go for a fourth down conversion, have your best players on the field to do that. But again, that wasn't in my takeaways. It's just kind of what I'm throwing in right now. <clears throat> there was some embarrassing run defense again. I know you're shocked. Um, the Bills defense allowed a long touchdown run. Stop me if you've heard this before. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer bristled at the postgame press conference last week after being called embarrassing, but Leonard Fournette ripped off a 47-yard touchdown run in the first quarter against the Bills. It just adds to the list of long touchdown runs this Bills defense has allowed. Something is clearly not working. Now, they were able to get it together later in the game. Um, you know, they missed a couple key run stops, like on a third and one, Leonard Fournette was able to get uh, the first down, but... You know, for the most part, they were able to bottle up the Tampa Bay offense in general in the second half of the game. But for whatever reason, they allow these long touchdown runs in you know four games this year, and it's just it's a problem. Um, you know, if the Bills are able to slow down the Bucks there and hold them to a field goal instead of a touchdown, obviously the game plays out differently. So, uh, 4.7 yards per carry for the Bucks, not great. Um, and you can take out that long 47-yard touchdown run all you want, but it still adds up in the total. PTSD, and um, I do not mean to make light of folks actually suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, but I was watching the game with my mother because the power was out at my house, and so I went over to my mom's house, and she kept looking at me sideways, and I'm like, what? And she says, you keep calling them the Patriots, and I'm like, son of a because it's Tom Brady under center. They're doing the exact same things that the Patriots always did to the Bills. It felt inevitable, just like the Patriots always felt inevitable against the Bills. Um, <laughs> every time they got the ball, I felt like Tampa Bay was going to score and just keep kicking me. And that was at halftime. Like I said, the Bills did a nice job in the second half. But, you know, as we go to overtime, it's just like, oh, you, you can just feel it coming because Brady's just been there, done that, and done it to the Bills so many times. Um, <laughs> it was it was bad. I said, I said Patriots way too many times. So it just it felt like I was dealing with ghosts. Um, so anyway, uh, Spencer Brown had a pretty rough first half and really uh, did not play that great in the whole game. You know, we're getting to that point in the year where you know, college football players are hitting that you know first year wall because they've gone through the NFL, the college season last year. Then they start training for the draft. Then they go right into training camp and get ready. And so they're just tired. Spencer Brown didn't have that. He didn't play the season last year. Um, so I don't think that he's hitting that rookie wall um, or anything like that. But uh, he did not have a great mental game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers front four. Again, 
that's no fault of his necessarily. That's a really good front four. But um, uh, early in the game, uh, he chose to pinch inside on a third down block, uh, but the cornerback blitzed, and then Josh Allen was sacked uh, by that cornerback. Now, he was sacked on second down later in the first quarter when Brown was beaten just clean um, on his block. And he allowed the pressure that caused Josh Allen's interception late in the second quarter. Um, on the fourth down run in the third quarter, it was Brown who was the lead block for Allen, um, but he didn't even have anybody to hit. So he's just running down the field with Josh Allen. And I think he has, ends up getting his hands on a guy at like the two-yard line, but that guy wasn't going to make the tackle on Josh Allen. So it just it wasn't a great game. Uh, for for Spencer Brown. I, I fully assume that he's going to learn from it and get better from it. Um, but it was um, a little bit of a welcome to the NFL moment, I felt, for, for Brown, who's really had a really nice rookie season. And again, that's not a criticism of him long term. I think he's still going to be solid at right tackle. And then finally, Fortitude was my final takeaway from the game. This was the first time all season we've shown the Bills actually you know, dig deep down and make that comeback. It could have turned really ugly in this game, like it did against the Colts or like it did against some other teams in the past under Sean McDermott, but they didn't let it. Josh Allen would not let that happen. The defense would not let that happen. Um, the defense, you know, people have been talking a lot about Josh Allen putting the Bills' offense on his back, but that defense stopping Tom Brady in the second half was just as important and they really showed me a lot in this game, something that they haven't done all season, really. They've beaten up on really bad teams so far this year and then got blown out by the Indianapolis Colts. They lost that close game against the Tennessee Titans, but the defense allowed a score on every single drive from the second quarter on against Tennessee. So they weren't able to fix it mid-game. Against the Bucs, they were able to fix it mid-game. And the Buffalo Bills really showed me something on both sides of the ball in this game against Tampa Bay. Now I have that feeling that like maybe if they get into the playoffs that they can do. Um, they, they can make a run. They can do something if they get there. It's, you know, I, before we were talking about how they hadn't beaten any of the good teams. And they still haven't really, but... You know, they showed me something in the second half that they can beat good teams. And if this team can put two halves together with both the offense and the defense, that they can play with anybody in this league. And they haven't done it for 60 minutes yet, but I think that they can. And and that's something we've been missing in 2021. It's not a moral victory, but they showed me they can do it. And that gives me some sort of hope for later in this year. And maybe that's the confidence booster that they need. You know, to go in and um, you know, beat the Panthers this week, uh, beat the Jets, beat the Falcons coming down the stretch, get to 10 wins, get in the playoffs, and and go further. And I don't feel crazy talking about winning the division You know, in two weeks from today, being at the top of the AFC East and winning out to secure that division championship again. So we'll get to that in a second. But first, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and get to your questions. Don't go anywhere. All right, the question on everybody's mind, the thing I keep getting asked about is the playoff chances. I'll be writing a bunch of playoff articles for Buffalo Rumblings this week, so keep your eyes peeled over on the website. The biggest thing I think that we can take away right now is that even though the Bills are down in the AFC East, they have a very clear path 
towards the top of the division. This weekend, the New England Patriots play the Indianapolis Colts on Saturday. If the Colts, who are a very solid team, can stop that New England Patriots winning streak and the Buffalo Bills beat the Carolina Panthers, then the game next weekend against the Carolina pa- against the New England Patriots, sorry, will be to determine who's in first place in the AFC East. The New England Patriots have another division loss. They lost in week one uh, to the Miami Dolphins. And so if you look ahead towards the tiebreakers and both teams win out, both the Buffalo Bills would have the division tiebreaker over the New England Patriots. We just need them to lose one more game this season other than the one to the Bills. So the Bills go into New England, beat the Patriots on December 26th. Any other loss for the Patriots means the Bills can run the table against really crappy teams and win the AFC East for the second year in a row. I think that's the Buffalo's easiest path to the playoffs. I think it's Buffalo's easiest path to the Super Bowl. So I would really love to see that happen, and I think it can happen. I don't think that the New England Patriots with a rookie quarterback can win whatever it is, 11 straight games. They've won seven straight games to this point. Are are we really thinking they're going to win 11 straight games to end their season and go into the playoffs on an 11-game winning streak? I just don't think it's likely. And so I think if the Buffalo Bills can handle their business, I know that I'm saying that they're going to win out and they haven't won consecutive games in two months. I get how crazy it sounds. But the Panthers, Falcons, and Jets are terrible. The Buffalo Bills have everything in front of them to win the AFC East. And the Carolina and the the New England Patriots are not going to win 11 straight games to get into the playoffs. I just don't see that happening. So, December 26th, we're going to get a late Christmas present. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to be at the top of the AFC East on December 26th. We'll see. We'll see. I know that's the question that I've been getting asked most about is the path to the playoffs. And I think that's a pretty darn likely path to the playoffs. Um, A lot of the other teams are playing each other this week. I already wrote that article. That's going to be posting on Tuesday at Buffalo Rumblings as well. You get to see a ton of those teams in the wildcard race play each other over the next several weeks. Teams that are either in first place in their division or second or third place in that wildcard mix are all playing each other. And so the Bills just have to take care of their business. They win three games. They get to 10 and 7. I think they make the playoffs as a wildcard team. If they win four games, I think they win the AFC East. Okay. So let's get to your questions. From I'm a little odd-ish on Twitter. Uh, Do you think our backup quarterbacks are ready to play if Allen is out next week? Well, I sure hope so because they they didn't spend a ton of money on Mitch Trubisky, but they made a solid investment in him and didn't trade him at the trade deadline specifically for events like this. Trubisky can come in, play well enough to win a game against an inferior opponent and keep the Bills in that playoff race. Um, If Josh Allen does have turf toe, as a lot of people have suspected, it's going to be tough for him to play against the Carolina Panthers, at least at the way that uh, he normally plays. So if, you know, he's a does not practice on Wednesday, does not practice on Thursday and is a limited participant on Friday, I don't know if I even want to see him play against the Carolina Panthers. So I 
this is why you get a good backup like Mitch Trubisky. Um, I think he's going to be ready. Uh, Davis Webb uh, is certainly a capable of getting you out of a game. I don't know if I'd want him you know, taking significant snaps in the game. Uh, so, you know, when you say backup quarterbacks, that has to include Davis Webb. Um, but Mitchell Trubisky, I think, is talented enough and prepared for this. I think that's been, you know, his goal for the whole year, knowing that Josh Allen could go down at any point in time. So thanks for that question over on Twitter at I'm a little oddish. Mark Solomon says, is Diggs having trouble tracking deep passes? I think he certainly did in the wind on Monday Night Football against the New England Patriots. Um, I don't think he had those same problems in Tampa Bay against the Buccaneers. I think he was interfered with uh, or held on a lot of those plays. So, um, you know, if there's a miscommunication happening that needs to get you know, buttoned up uh, between Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, if he's looking over the wrong shoulder or whatever, uh, you know, that's Brian Dable, that's Josh Allen, that's... Um, Chad Hall all talking to Stefan Diggs to try and figure that out. But I have not gotten the sense from that. It doesn't appear that Josh Allen is irritated with Stefan Diggs on the field, you know, in the heat of the battle because he's, you know, tracking balls poorly. Um, I know he was super disappointed on Monday Night Football, but I <laughs> I don't know how you can. I, I don't think that Josh Allen was being critical of Stefan Diggs when he put um, his hands up and did the Cobra pose. You know, it was just like, oh, man, it was so close. But that wind was whipping all over the place. So, you know, I, I do not see that as a an ongoing problem that we have to worry about. Thanks, Mark, for your question over on Twitter at Runlinks Q&A. Marco goes all in on the refs. If referees are competent and confident in their ability to make the correct calls, why are they quickly whisked away after it's over when there is so much debate Where's their accountability? Why shouldn't they be made available post-game like players? NFL refereeing and officiating has always been a point of contention among fan bases when their team gets screwed over. They are available. They're made available to one pool reporter after the game is my understanding. And so one reporter can go in and ask one of the refs for clarification on things. Uh, but typically speaking, the NFL just doesn't want that to be the focus of the game. And I don't think it cost the Bills the game. I think it would have been a heck of a lot easier for them to win if they had called the defensive holding or pass interference on Stefan Diggs that was clearly visible on the replays. So they are held accountable. It's just not in public usually. Um, they can be demoted. They can lose out on prime assignments. They can lose their jobs eventually. Um, but, you know, yeah. It's the NFL isn't going to go out of their way to, you know, make a public spectacle of disciplining uh, a, a game official. So I also received a few snarky comments about the game officials, but those aren't questions. TJ and some other folks that uh, said in some comments over at Rumlinks Q and A. All right, to finish off today's episode, we're going to go outside the scope of the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a recent report out of ESPN. Let's head over to the voicemail line at 716-508-0405. This is Cameron coming from Maryland. Um, I want to know if you think that uh, Leslie Frazier actually is tied to the Chicago Bears job or if it's probably just some clickbait from ESPN. Um, I think he's a good coach. I just think the defense hasn't really improved much uh, from last season. I think we're kind of seeing the true 
to call to the defense. So uh, I'm just curious what your take is on the Leslie Frazier news. Love this question. Thanks for calling in from Marilyn Cameron. Um, so Cameron is referencing a port from Dan Graziano from, oh, I don't know, about five or six days ago now that said Leslie Frazier is being rumored to be the next leading candidate, I guess, for the Chicago Bears head coaching job should they move on from Nat Nagy, which is widely expected. Um, I, I, I think the Bills defense has been doing fine this year. I think that there were stretches of this season that they've played really, 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 really well. Um, they keep having one or two execution problems in games, which really cost them. You know, that's what those long runs are, whether it's against the Patriots, Buccaneers, uh, Titans. If you can eliminate the one mistake, those games are drastically different. Now, maybe not against the Colts. Maybe the Colts still beat them, but I think they win that game against the Titans without the long Derrick Henry run. I think they win the game against the Bucks, maybe without that long Leonard Fournette run. So I think that Leslie Frazier's defense has been playing pretty well. You know, for a long stretch of the season, they were second or fourth in you know points scored or points allowed and yardage allowed. I, I think they're doing fine, but that's not really the issue that I see with Leslie Frazier as a head coaching candidate because I think that being a head coach is way different than being a coordinator. I think when you're looking for a head coach, you're looking for a manager, and when you're looking for a defensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator, you're looking for a play caller and someone that can design schemes. I think head coaches are about managing people where coordinators are about managing football. And I really do think that in my brain, it's why I tend to give, you know, first time head coaches a little bit more leeway. And I think that they shouldn't be play callers. Now, obviously, a ton of offensive play callers around the league and scheme designers are offensive minded head coaches, first time head coaches that are also calling plays on offense and then leaving their defense to somebody else. But that's more of a me opinion. I think you're hiring a different type of person for head coach than you are for coordinators. And, you know, I just, I have so much respect for great leaders and people that can put people in the right seats on the bus and manage a, a unit like that, you know, it, it really goes back to like, <laughs> I hate to do this, but it goes back to like Ted Lasso, right? You know, Ted Lasso doesn't know a ton about soccer, but he knows how to manage a team. He knows how to motivate people. And I think that's the job of the head coach is to, you know, kind of orchestrate everything that's happening in your building. And so I don't necessarily think that even if there was a regression on the defense, that Leslie Frazier would be, you know, a, a a less worthy candidate than he was before. Now, he was a finalist for the Houston Texans job last year. Obviously, the Bears job would be a, a much much better landing spot for him because um, this is probably his last chance at being an NFL head coach. Um, I really hope Leslie Frazier gets a head coaching job somewhere. I think he deserves it. I think he's a great motivator. Uh, he has the experience. Uh, he just He's a guy that I would want as my head coach if I was, you know, if I was a, another... NFL team. So, um, again, I just think it's so much different than being a defensive schemer and play caller. So, uh, thanks for your question over on our voicemail line, Cameron. 
That number is 716-508-0405. You can also send text messages to that number if you want to send in your questions for a future episode. You can send us emails, buffalorumblings at sbnation.com. You can send us Facebook and Instagram messages as well. Those will get their way to me. You can tweet at us as so many of our listeners did this weekend on rumblings Q and A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle. Tune in next week. Uh, hopefully we'll uh, be a lot happier after the Buffalo Bills defeat the Carolina Panthers. And really happy after the Indianapolis Colts beat the New England Patriots. So, I sign off with Go Colts, or whatever they say over there in Indianapolis. And, Go Bills!